Well, go ahead and open back up to uh, Jeremiah chapter 17. We are continuing our series this morning called Conquering Codependency. And although you probably couldn't tell, the title of our message this morning is, it's on the very bottom there, Don't Expect Your Spouse to Be Your Soulmate. Don't expect your spouse to be your soulmate. And no, Lauren and I don't have any problems in our marriage. This is not a reactionary sermon or anything. Some of you are wondering, why in the world is this coming up on a Sunday? Um, This is another element, this is another realm where we fall into codependent behavior. We look for that one particular person out there that's our soulmate who will finally make us whole and complete. You know, in my preparation for the sermon this week, I happened to come across an internet message board, and uh, this unidentified woman, synonymous woman, posted a very troubling message on this internet site. This is how it read. Help. I'm married to a great man, but I found my soulmate. I've been married for 15 years to a great man. We have four wonderful children. My marriage has always been solid and strong. My first marriage failed because my husband was disrespectful and didn't really like women. But my husband now is just the opposite. And he has always treated me well. I married him for the right reasons, but I always felt a void and was trying to make him into my soulmate. I threw myself into my children and my hobbies to fill that void, and I figured that something was wrong with me. I mean, I had it all. A great husband, great kids, and yet I was still unfulfilled. But then, a childhood friend got in touch with me, and he was in the same boat I was. We started a friendship that blossomed into a beautiful relationship, and when we were together, the world stopped, and my soul was whole. I've never loved so fully and completely in a relationship. I told my husband I had met my soulmate, and he fell completely apart. My husband keeps telling me he will do whatever it takes to make me happy. It feels so unfair because I just don't feel that way about him. I am so lost right now and feel like the worst person in the world. Should I stay in this relationship and give my husband and my children what they deserve, or should I follow my heart but destroy everyone around me. Please help me. Now, it doesn't get any more real than that, right? This anonymous soul out there somewhere in cyberspace asking for help about what to do in their 15-year marriage with four children. I mean, this is real life here. This is real life. Let's say that you're this lady's friend. Let's say she comes to you and she asks you over lunch, what should I do? Should I leave and pursue my heart and marry my soulmate or should I stay in this marriage that I'm not quite fulfilled in? It's kind of dry and it's very dutiful. What should I do? If that was your friend, how would you answer her? This is a a question we have to answer, friends, because here's the deal. It's not enough to know the Bible. We have to be able to answer the culture's questions using the Bible because they have real questions. They have real questions about real-life dilemmas. You know, a new poll came out. It said 94% of young Americans believe in a soulmate. And there's all kinds of blogs and books out there warning people, don't jump into a relationship too fast until you know you have met your soulmate. It's not good enough to be happy anymore. You have to be happier 
than you could have been. You have to wait and hold out for your soulmate. And if you're kind of confused, what does this word soulmate mean? The word soulmate, according to the Urban Dictionary, is this. A person with whom you have an immediate connection the moment you meet. A connection so strong that you are drawn to them in a way you have never experienced before. As this connection develops over time, you experience a love so deep, so strong, and complex that you begin to doubt you have ever truly loved anyone prior to this moment. And listen to this. Your soulmate understands and connects with you in every way and on every level, which brings a sense of peace, calmness, and happiness whenever you're around them. That is exactly what 94% of young Americans are looking for. That soulmate. And I'm sure as I read that, some people were like moaning secretly, like, man, I wish I had that, you know. I wish I had that person that whenever I was around them, they recharged me instead of draining me. That's exactly what our society is looking for. There's only one problem, though. The Bible says what we just read is impossible. It's impossible. Proverbs chapter 14 and verse 10 we read this, the heart knows its own bitterness and no stranger shares its joy. That word shares in Hebrew, it literally has the idea of to experience something jointly, to literally enter into someone's experience and truly empathize with them on a profound and deep level. The Bible says it's actually impossible. I mean, we're all narcissistic by nature because we can't help it. We can't truly empathize with another person because what's going on in our hearts, no matter how much you explain that to another person, they will never truly be able to empathize with you on any deep level. It will remain superficial. And I know that's hard to hear, but the Bible says only you know what you're going through. But the Bible also says this, when it comes down to it, you actually don't even know what you're going through. Jeremiah 17 verse 9 says this, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can even understand their own heart? I know, this is going to be a tough sermon this morning, right? <laughs> We're like, oh, dang, Sniggles. Here's the deal. If you are looking for someone else to fulfill you and make you like, feel whole on every level possible, here's the problem, bro. Not only are you not going to find that person that understands what makes you tick, you don't even know what makes you tick. You have no idea. Our hearts are so deceitful, they trick us. We think we have good motives, but we don't. You know, I'll give you an example. There was a Puritan named John Newton. And if you're unfamiliar with the Puritans, the Puritans were these theologians that lived a couple hundred years ago. They were awesome dudes. They sat around all day. They wore powdered wigs and studied the Bible and wrote about the depravity of their own hearts. That's what they did all day long, okay? They're Puritans. They're awesome, okay? But John Newton said this. He said, it's been 28 years since the Lord began to open my mind to who I am as a person. And since that day, right, almost every day, since that time, God has shown me something about myself. Until then, it was unobserved. And the further I go, the more I seem convinced that I've only entered but a little way. John Newton likened his heart to like this cave that tunneled way beneath the surface, this subterranean cave. And he said, listen, I've been walking with Jesus 28 years, and I don't even know what makes me tick. Every day, I, I, I discover something I didn't see before. It's like, who is the stranger that is me? We don't even know who we are. We don't even know what makes us tick. And so, yeah, you can have a relationship with someone, and you can, you can explain some things and empathize on a small level, but to go deep and connect and fulfill someone's dreams and hopes and aspirations and make them feel whole is impossible. It's absolutely impossible. 
But listen, even though this is an impossible concept, and even though looking for a soulmate is just, it's foolish, that doesn't stop people from looking for their soulmate. And the reason people look for their soulmate is because, listen, we all came here this morning because we all know the same thing, right? We're all messed up. That's why you came here. If you didn't think you were messed up, you'd be at the beach right now, right? So we all came here because we know we're jacked up. We know something's wrong. Something's broken. We know our inadequacies. We know we fall short, and we take medication because of it, okay? So what we are looking for, we are looking for a person who has what we lack in ourselves. I'm broken. I know I'm broken. I know I'm jacked up, but if I could just find someone that wasn't like me, man, then I'd be happy. It's sort of like the movie Jerry Maguire. I love, man, you can't see Jerry, you can't see Tom Cruise here. But if you have seen Jerry Maguire, and you must see it, okay? He looks Renee Zellweger in the eyes, remember? And he says, you complete me. We long to say those three magical words to another human being. That's what we live for. We live to find our soulmate where we can finally settle down and say, you know what? Everything I need is right here, baby. And so we are naturally codependent creatures looking to other fallen sinners to make us feel whole and complete. And the Bible says clearly, listen, that's impossible. It's impossible. No human being can satisfy you on that level. But the Bible actually goes a step further than that. The Bible actually says, God says in our text this morning, in Jeremiah 17, the Bible says this, if you insist upon looking for a soulmate and you become codependent upon another fallen sinner, you'll end up being cursed. I know, this is not a feel-good sermon, is it, right? It's like, yeah, so there's no soulmate and I'm cursed, it's great, you know? Um, look at verse 5. Look at what God says in verse 5. God loves us so much, He warns us, this is what the Lord says. Cursed is the one who trusts in man, who draws strength from mere flesh, and whose heart turns away from the Lord. Stop right there. God warns us, if we look to another person, another fallen person, to be our perfect complement, our doppelganger, our alter ego, we will end up bringing a curse upon ourselves. Now, if you're like me, I always am curious. I'm like, okay, what kind of curse are we talking about? Is it worth it? You know? Um, the, <clears throat> I'm just keeping it real here. Look at verse 6, because verse 6, God tells us what the curse is. Look at verse 6. That person will be like a bush in the wastelands. They will not see prosperity when it comes, and they will dwell in parched places of the desert in a salt land where nobody lives. Okay, so what is the curse of codependency according to God? The answer is you'll end up all alone. Do you guys see the counterintuitive nature here of codependency? God's like this. He's like, I just want to warn you. If you go into life looking for one perfect person to complete you, one fallen sinner to basically say, you complete me to, you'll end up at the end of the day all alone. You'll end up all, that's the curse of codependency. Now, there's a couple of reasons why looking for your soulmate will backfire on you. Okay, a couple of big reasons. First of all, if you're looking for your soulmate, Making, you know, finding someone that's marriage material will be nearly impossible. Trying to marry well in the Lord or whatever you call it will be impossible. And that's the first reason you'll end up alone because if you expect another person to complete you and hit every single level of your psyche and soul, nobody will ever be good enough. And you'll drag your feet, you'll procrastinate. You'll never get married. You'll put it off for 30, 40 years. You know, something we're seeing in our culture, 
I love making graphs lately. I'm getting really good in Excel, but check this out. Something we're seeing since 1960, the average age of married people is going up and up and up. You know, you can see it. The last, what is that? That 55 years, last 55 years, it's, it's leaped almost 10 years, the average age people get married. And I know we can say, you know, people are getting married later in life because, you know, there's more college courses now and there's Xbox and there's all this stuff. Listen, the reason people are getting married later in life, I believe, is because people are looking for their soulmate. They're looking for this perfect complement to their personality that's not going to cause them to change a whole lot not suffer a whole lot because we don't like to suffer anymore, we basically say, you've got to meet all my needs or I ain't even talking to you. And so that leads to unrealistic expectations in marriage and it causes us to procrastinate. It causes people to live together before they're married. Got to take a test drive, right? Got to take a test drive. Got to test this thing out, man. Because we are terrified of getting anyone but our soulmate. And I'm not alone in this assumption, okay? I always bring ammo when I come into the pulpit. I'm not alone. My wife and I recently watched a TED Talk with a relationship expert named Esther Perel. And she explained that the reason why long-term relationships are so rare today in our culture is because this idea of a soulmate crept in about 150 years ago during the romanticism and the romantic era. That happened and a major shift took place. Check this quote out. It's a nugget and a half. Marriage used to be an economic institution which you married someone for the purpose of companionship, social status, and raising children. And here it is. But then a shift took place. And that shift is romanticism. The romantic era came in in the late 19th century. Then, 150 years ago, we expect our partner to still give us all the things they used to give us, but now... In addition to that, you got to be my best friend, my trusted confidant, my passionate lover to boot, and on top of that, we live twice as long. So, let me just kind of cut through that. This is what this means. Back in the olden days, you married, you found someone that was suitable to marry, they had good character, they, they, they were a gem, you married them, you raised kids, you went on with your life, and if you happened to marry a dud, it was okay, everyone died at 40 anyway, wasn't a big deal, okay? Seriously. If you got a lemon, just wait it out, you know? You want some more pulled pork, honey? You know, just keep extra butter, a little extra sugar. You're good, right? Uh-huh. Hey, you're thinking, and I'm just preaching it. <laughs> I've watched enough forensic files, you know? People use antifreeze today. I used to use extra butter. Um, anyway, um, so anyway, what happens is this. 150 years ago, it's not good enough anymore just to find a suitable marriage partner. Now I've got to find my soulmate. And so now I come to one person, one person, and expect them to give me what an entire village used to give me. Why are people getting married later and later in life? Because I don't want to be the person for the next 60 or 70 years that's stuck with the wrong person. And you've seen this. You've seen him at McDonald's. The older couple wants to stab each other in the eye with a french fry, and you're thinking, I ain't going to be that. I don't want to go through life like that. So I've got to make sure. I'm going to get in trouble this morning. Um, I've got to make sure I've got my soulmate here. You know, there's a reason your four-year-old son won't get married, and he jumps from relationship to relationship to relationship. No one's ever good enough. There's always something wrong with him. There's a reason for that. You raised them right, taught them table manners, you know, elbows off the table, you know, hair off, hair off the shoulders, all that. You taught him well. You taught him to respect women, but he won't, he, there's been a failure to launch, Matthew McConaughey style. There's been a failure to launch. He won't settle down. Why is that? Because that guy is looking for his soulmate. 
She's my perfect complement. She loves NFL football. She's willing to watch eight hours of NFL football every Sunday. She only owns three pairs of shoes. She doesn't talk a lot, you know? She's everything. She's a world-class chef. He has totally... Listen, I married the last woman like that, okay? So she is, my wife is awesome. But listen, if you have totally unrealistic expectations about your spouse, you are going to have, listen, dating will be a terrifying experience. If you are dead set on finding your soulmate, it will make dating a terrifying experience because listen, with the invention of the internet, this doesn't get any easier because I used to have to whittle it down from the people in my village. Now I've got to whittle it down for the millions of people on match.com. Right? I got a freaking research project going here, bro. You know, I got to figure out what's going on. Personality tests. Listen, that's exactly what people are doing. And it makes dating terrifying. People get, they get trapped up in the paralysis of analysis. I got FOMO, fear of missing out. I don't want to be happy because I could be happier if I just wait. And I find that perfect soulmate. And listen, that whole fear of missing out and the fear of you could be happier hypothetically is what kills many good relationships. Many perfectly good relationships I've seen just thrown down. They've thrown in the dust because they are afraid of getting anyone but their soulmate. And so listen, the first reason why looking for your soulmate will backfire and you'll end up alone is because no one will ever be good enough. That's the first reason. The second reason why looking for your soulmate will backfire and you'll be cursed with loneliness is this. Being married to a real sinner will will be very, very difficult. If you have unrealistic expectations of your spouse remaining married to that person, it's going to be awfully hard. Because if you're expecting perfection, we are only, listen, we're sinners at best. We're sinners at best. And our society has brainwashed us to believe that there's this one perfect person out there that's going to meet all of your needs. And the only problem is, when you marry someone... The person you marry will turn out to be not even the person you thought they were. And all the married people said, amen, right? Silently. They will. Listen, you, everyone thinks they're getting Rachel, and they wake up the next morning to Leah. I'm just telling you, okay? Book of Genesis style. That's just the way it is. Because you will not know someone until you marry them. And there's a couple of reasons for that. First of all, because the person you marry is hiding very well who they really are. It got really quiet near, right? Listen, I've been, a, I've, been, I've been a pastor for a little over six years, not a very long time, but I'm, I know this. Premarital counseling anymore is like almost like superfluous because no one listens to you when you do premarital counseling. They don't care. I mean, my wife and I have done enough premarital counseling, and you sit across from this young couple, and you're talking about communication and finances and you know, unmet expectations, and they're just staring off into their eyes like, yeah, I know every other couple has problems, but we're going to be different. You know, We got something special here. And we're like, yeah, sure, Sniggles. I bet, I bet you got something special there, you know? And so, listen, I have learned, I have learned, you know, you can warn couples, but until they get married, they're not even listening to you because people learn on a need-to-know basis. And so I really don't care what you have to share with me right now until I need to know what I need to know. And so my, my premarital counseling has shifted more into postmarital recon, you know, reconciliation kind of thing, you know, because people don't even listen until they have problems. And, and you will not know how sinful your spouse is until you marry them. Then they will turn out to be a completely different person because you can do all the premarital counseling you want, but until they come back from the honeymoon and the credit card bill comes in the mail, then it's on like Donkey Kong. Okay, it is. It's going to be on because surprise, you married a sinner. You married someone that is fundamentally selfish. 
And you're selfish too. And so there's bound to be some drama. I mean, our culture has a phrase for this. It's called the honeymoon is over, right? I mean, they even get it. And so it's not uncommon. It's not uncommon as a pastor to get calls from newlyweds, Tommy and I do. And they're like hyperventilating. They're like, dude, I think I married the wrong person. What in the world did I get myself into? We got to meet like now. We have to meet now. I'm like, told you. <laughs> you told you. Told you to come back. Because listen, people freak out and they think, uh-oh, I missed my soulmate. I think I married the wrong person. Because the person they married is not the person that they actually turn out to be. Because every person goes into marriage hiding and posturing and pretending about who they really are. Because we fear deep down inside, if people really knew who we were, they would reject us. We fear if another human being, if we just laid all our cards out there, they would reject us. And so we want our best behavior. And listen, the great theologian and HBO comedian Chris Rock noted this element of human nature, okay? Listen to this. When you meet someone for the first time, you're not meeting them. You're meeting the representative. In fact, the reason why relationships are easy to get into, but they're hard to maintain, is because it's hard to keep up the lie. You can't get anyone just by being yourself. You've got to lie to get someone. You can't get somebody by looking how you look and acting how you act and sounding like you sound. When you meet someone for the first time, you're not meeting them, you're meeting their representative. That's really what dating is all about, isn't it? Seriously, it's one representative meeting with another representative for coffee, for dinner dates, everything goes on the credit card. I mean, everything does. There's, there's no logic involved. I mean, dating is about as much preparation for marriage as sending a soldier off for surfing lessons before he goes to war. It really is. Because everything, everything's it's just two reps. All the cards are played very close to... It's like the World Series of Poker. It's like, I ain't showing you what I got. I got some bad athletes flipping. I ain't showing you nothing, right? You're kind of playing those cards close to the fest. And so you don't even know who you're getting. But when both people are legally bound, then that's like when you get tired of sending the representative out every day. It's too much work to put the makeup on and to put the good attitude on. And the blah, you know, the real you just comes out. The real fallen you and the first reason why couples have a hard time staying married is if one or both of the spouses believe they married their soulmate and this person exists to fulfill all of my needs. God has given me relationships to fulfill every last need I have through this one person. You have unrealistic expectations. And listen, that person is hiding their flaws very well. That's the first reason. It'll lead to loneliness. The second reason is this. The person you marry will end up different than the person you dated because people are always changing. People are always changing. No one stays the same ever. No one does. I mean, even, even the very event of getting married will change you because that's a significant event to undertake. When you say, I do, all the pressure, all the fear. Listen, the very fact that you entered into the sacred union with another human being till death do you part, that's a very, very um, profound experience that will change you. Having kids will change you. Getting a, getting a bad illness will change you. And so human beings, they're always changing. And so the person that you marry will end up being vastly different from the person that you were dating because people were always changing. My wife, my wife has been married to about four different men and they've all been me. They have. I mean, we've been married for eight years. She was first of all married to the Jeff that, you know, he went to seminary and he studied, you know, 14 hours a day and he was all pasty white, right, honey? Because I never exercised, never went outside. That was the first Jeff. Then she was married to the Jeff that had a nervous breakdown because he didn't exercise or go outside and he studied 14 hours a day, right? And she went through that for like a year and a half. 
And then she was married to the Jeff that became a church planner, right? And worked 80 hours a week to get a church off the ground with Tommy. Listen, and it was like a, it was like a stranger living with a stranger for a season. She was married to that Jeff. And then she was married to the Jeff who picked up skateboarding in his late 30s and built a half pipe in his garage and fell and almost broke his shoulder, right? <laughs> That's the current Jeff. Nice to meet you, right? That's who she's married to now. And so she's been married to at least four men. They've all been me. And so, listen, people are always changing. They're always changing. But people, they get into marriage and they're like, this person is not the person I thought they were. Exactly. And you know what? In a year or two, they'll be a completely different person too. And some people, they begin to worry and they're like, you know what? I think I missed my soulmate. I think I married the wrong person. Listen, you never marry the right person. Or, as Tim Keller said, you always marry the wrong person. And the reason you always marry the wrong person is because you have two sinners who are desperately out for me, mine, myself. I'm selfish. And when you take two sinners and you say, you're going to be in a covenant till death do you part, and you're going to have little versions of yourself running around, little sinners, there's going to be some drama. There's going to be some conflict. It's inevitable. We live in a fallen world that's broken. And your marriage will not escape that brokenness. And you may think getting into marriage is going to cure all your ails and it's going to, you're going to fix this person. Listen, if your person is, is jacked up and flawed, if you get married, you're drawing closer to that person. They're actually, their flaws are going to impact you more. But if you get into marriage with the wrong perspective and you think this person is here to fulfill me and satisfy my every last whim and there's no self-denial, there's no self-death, self it will be a long and miserable marriage because we live in a fallen world. And so if you go into marriage expecting your, mouth, your spouse to be your soulmate who complements all your weaknesses, here's the deal. You will kill your marriage because you are placing a burden upon your marriage it was never designed to bear. Never designed. When you expect your spouse to be your soulmate, you're putting a, a weight of expectation upon that person that's going to crush them. It's kind of like, like this. My wife and I, when we moved back here to Florida... Um, I rented a U-Haul, one of those U-Haul pull trailers. And uh, at the time, we owned a little Ford Ranger. Now, if you don't know how big a Ford Ranger truck is, if you sit in the driver's seat, you could touch all four windows, okay? That's how big it is. Okay? Um, and, and so I went and I rented this U-Haul, and I pulled it home, and everything was cool. And then I loaded that U-Haul down with everything that we owned. And when I came out... The back of my truck was like that, and the U-Haul was like this, okay? So it was like a V-shape, and I was like, that doesn't look right. <laughs> so I went, I went, and I pulled out of the glove box the owner's manual for my Ford Ranger, and I looked it up, and sure enough, <laughs> this trailer was way too big to pull behind my truck. And, you know, I did what most men would do. I pulled it anyway, you know? Um, <laughs> we're stubborn, stubborn breed. Uh, and listen, the deposit was down. I'm like, listen... You know, don't put your hand in the plow and look back. So I took all kinds of passages out of context. Trust the Lord, all that. So I pulled this trailer home from California, and it's 3,000 miles. My wife and I, we set out. It was like, what was it, baby? Early June, I think. It was early June. We set out to drive 3,000 miles from California, L.A., all the way back here to Daytona Beach, okay? And so we push off. We're driving towards Las Vegas about an hour into our voyage like the check engine light came on in my truck. So we turned the air conditioner off. We had it on full-blown cold. We turned it off and we cranked the windows down. We're like, what's going, this is going to be okay. Well, like maybe 15 minutes later, the, the heat index on the engine was like pinged to the top. It can't go any further. 
And so we then turn the heat on full blast. Because you turn the heater on, it helps your truck cool down, whatever, your vehicle cool down. We turn the, okay, windows down, heater's on full blast now. So I'm, you know how it is, man. It's like mascara, everything. We're just like, we're, we're, getting, we're getting crazy. Um, but still, with the heater on full blast, the air off, the windows down, the heat through the floorboards was so intense, like my feet were sweating, and like that's the worst feeling to have shoes and socks on and your feet are still sweating. There's like no worse feeling in the world, okay? But we drove like that for 3,000 miles all the way home pulling that U-Haul. And we were going through like Arizona and stuff. We'd be going up some steep mountain. My truck would go like 20. If I had it floored, it was going 20. And it would, it would just shut off sometimes. It would just shut off. It would overheat and shut off. You had to pull it over, wait 30 minutes, then just crank it back up and keep going. We drove the whole way home. We lost like 20 pounds of water weight, Seriously. If I ever end up missing, whoever owns my truck now will be arrested for my murder because I've got DNA in that truck. I'm sure I do still. Because listen, we lost like 20 pounds of water. That was pretty gross, wasn't it? I watched a lot of forensic files. Um, we, uh, we lost like 20 pounds of water weight, but here's the deal. We were placing upon that truck a weight it was never designed to bear, right? And the same is true in life, friends. If you hitch the U-Haul of your existence and all your hopes and dreams and aspirations and fears, if you hitch that to one fallen sinner and you say, pull me home, you're going to blow the transmission on that thing, bro. You're going to flatten the tires on it. You're going to ruin the brakes. You're going to destroy that truck. You're going to destroy that human being because they were never designed to be the functional center of your universe. And so listen, whenever you deify another person and expect them to be your God, you'll kill the relationship every time. Because no human being can be your God. They can't fulfill you at every level. And the only reason we look to our soulmate, if you read all the historical literature and you read about the Romanticism period, the reason that people started looking for a soulmate is because people stopped believing in God. And you have to trust in something. you got to look somewhere to fulfill me at some existential level. So if I don't have God anymore to meet all my needs, guess where I'm going to look? To a human being. And I'm going to place a weight of burden upon them that they were never designed to bear. And it will kill the relationship every time. Whenever you expect another human being to fulfill all your goals and hopes and dreams and fears and to just understand you at some pro like read my mind, please, you're going to kill the relationship. That's not just true in marriage. That's true in any relationship in your life. I mean, this is true even, even between like a parent and a child. A lot of parents, they want to live vicariously through their children. And they put such a weight on their kids, they actually destroy the relationship. The kids move as far as they can away. I've seen this so many times in Christian circles. The very people who should put the least amount of pressure on their kids want to make their kids little saints, little St. Augustines and little St. Cal... They put such a burden of legalism and rules upon their kids because the Bible says, train up a child, that they actually push their kids away. I was a college pastor three and a half years. Someone asked me, what would you learn about kids? Nothing. I learned about parents. Because every time I get a phone call from a dad, it's like, hey, straighten my kid out. I've got a problem there. There's a reason your kid is rebellious. There's a reason your kid won't listen to you anymore. It could be because you place such a weight of expectation. You have not allowed him to be a fallen human being. And you kill the relationship when you do that. When you expect perfection. I don't know, you guys probably know Chuck Swindoll. Chuck Swindoll is a great preacher, great man of God. He said this. This is Chuck Swindoll. 
This happens to great Christian families, friends. Great Christian families. Swindoll said this. He said, when my father closed his eyes for the last time in death, a pressure was released that I felt rested upon me my entire life. That was like perfect timing. I heard a child screaming in there or crying. Listen, I have been alive long enough. I've been to enough funerals. Not every tear at a funeral is tears of sorrow. Sometimes there are tears of joy that finally the pressure's off. Finally, the nag- her nagging will stop. Finally, I'll never have to have that tense conversation again with my father where I can just sense the disappointment in his voice that I didn't turn out to be what he wanted me to be. Finally, the pressure's off. I can be a human being. Not every single tear you see at a funeral is a tear of sorrow. Some are tears of relief because the pressure's off. Because whenever you deify a spouse or a child, whenever you look to a friend to be your God and you place unrealistic expectations upon them, you're going to curse yourself and you're going to end up alone. Your spouse will emotionally withdraw from you. Your kids will leave home and get as far from you as they can. That's going to happen. I'm just telling you now it's going to happen. If you fall into codependency, if you look to anything else to be your God except for God, it's going to backfire. And friends, God wants more for us. He wants more for us. There's a better way to live. I mean, our text this morning is all about God wanting us to live a better way. There's a better way. Because if, if codependency brings a curse, there must also be a blessing. And look at, look at the blessing in verse 7. Look there. God says there's a blessing coming. But blessed is the one who trusts in the Lord and whose confidence is in Him. I I love this word trust in Hebrew. It's so pregnant with meaning. Trust in Hebrew here does not mean intellectual assent. Oh yeah, I I know there's a God out there. I believe in God. No, trust here in Hebrew has the idea of feeling safe and secure. I go to God to be my God. I'm so secure in Jesus, all I want in life is fruit. That's how Lecrae would put it. I'm looking to God to be my God. And there is a blessing associated with looking to God and God alone to be our God instead of all other fallen human beings because when you believe that God is your God, there's a blessing there. And listen, that is what the gospel is all about. You know, maybe you've never thought about this before, but but here's one way to view the gospel. Jesus Christ is this perfect human being who left heaven Send me an angel. He is the angel. He he is God who came down. He's perfect. He truly understands all of your issues. And he, he understands you at a level that you don't even understand yourself. He truly can empathize with you, it says in Hebrews 4. He takes away your inadequacies. He covers your insecurities. Jesus Christ is your true and better soulmate. That's who Jesus is through the gospel. Jesus Christ is the only human being who has ever lived that you could really look into his eyes and say, you complete me. Jesus is our soulmate. That's what the gospel teaches. And when we look at the cross, and we understand that Jesus on the cross was saying this, I understand the depth of depravity of your heart. I understand that you constantly chase after other people, other fallen sinners, and look to them to be secure. But I have come to forgive you of all of that. I know the depths of your heart, and I'm not walking away from this relationship. Instead, I'm giving myself in your place. That's the gospel. That's the gospel. 
And when we see with eyes of faith that Jesus is our soulmate, the security and the comfort that comes from that level of trust. I, I almost think this is like level two Christianity, okay? Level one Christianity is you believe the gospel, you're saved, you're a Christian, you're in the kingdom, of course. But some people never make it to level two where it's like, you know what, everything I need I have in Christ. I don't need to look to another human being to be my God because God is my God. There's a blessing, friends, that comes with that. And that's why verse 8 says this. When you look to God to be your God, all kinds of fruit's going to flow. Let's check out verse 8 of Jeremiah 17. Let's see if we can get verse 8 of Jeremiah 17. Can we get that? Can we, can we get verse 8? I'll read it to you here. They will be like a tree. Listen to this. You've got it in the back of your bulletin there. They will be like a tree planted by the water that sends out its root by the stream. It does not fear when heat comes. It can take heat. It can take arguments. It can take conflict. It's not going to fear when the heat comes because its leaves are always green, baby. It has no worries in a year of drought and never fails to bear fruit. You know, how, how are you going to be in a relationship and stop using people to feel better about yourself? How are you going to do that? How are you going to stay married to the same person who does the same repetitive dumb stuff over and over and over again like I do, right? I get this. I get I, my wife. She puts up with me. I find a song on YouTube and I listen to it for like three days, a million times a day straight and crank the volume up. How are you going to stay married to a person like that without losing your mind? How are you going to stop being so nitpicky and finding every last fault with every person that you date and finally settle down? How are you going to finally forgive your son for being a truck driver instead of a pro ball player? How are you going to do it? How are you going to do it? Well, the answer is this. Only by a deeper experience with the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's it. Because when you look to God to be your God and he, he provides you that trust and that security that you long for, guess what? I can handle it if my son doesn't turn out the way he wants. I can handle it that I'm married to a sinner. I can look into the depths of your heart as much as I can see and see that you are fallen and broken and you're probably never going to get over this thing that you do the rest of your life, but I'm still here and I'm not going to stop bearing fruit because I'm so secure in God that I'm just going to bear fruit. The Bible says the way that you can persevere in relationships and not end up cursed and alone in life alienating everyone that you've ever cared about is by a deeper experience with the gospel. Because here's the deal, friends. When you look to God to be your God, then your spouse can just be your spouse. And that takes a tremendous weight off of your marriage. And you'll be a lot happier, and your spouse will be as well.